This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Sales EQ, Objections and Inked, and I'm here to help you fill up your pipeline, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of Sales Gravy. On this episode, I have a really fun conversation with Gina Tremarco, who is an expert on improv. And you're going to have an opportunity to hear me embarrass myself as I try to do improv with Gina. But what you're going to learn, I think, is really important because you're going to learn that improv can make you more confident. It can make you a better listener. It can help you be in the moment when you're having a conversation with a buyer, help you do much better discovery because instead of trying to think about the next thing you're going to ask, you're able to build on your questions organically, which, again, makes you a better listener, which is a really good habit in sales to actually listen to your buyer. It's a fantastic conversation, and there's so much to learn here. And at the very beginning, you also get to learn Gina's entrepreneurial story, which I think is fantastic, and it's inspiring as well. Before we get started, though, a quick conversation about my brand new book, Virtual Selling. This book is setting all kinds of records. It's already an international bestseller. Now, I've sold a lot of books, but I've never had a book do this well this fast. And the reason that it is flying off the shelves is because... It helps people stand out, to differentiate, to be better in a virtual environment. This book will make you more money this year. So if you're ready to crush it on virtual sales calls and with virtual prospecting, go pick up my brand new book, Virtual Selling. You can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Now, here's my conversation with Gina Tremarco on Sales Improv. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt. I'm CEO of Sales Gravy and the author of Fanatical Prospecting, Sales EQ, Objections, and Inked. And I'm here with Gina Tremarco. And we're talking about improvising in sales, improvising in your life, improvising in business, so that no matter what's thrown at you, you can adapt and be flexible and accelerate your success. Gina, welcome to the show. And I'm really interested in learning about you and your journey because you've been on a kind of a wild ride that got you to a place where um, you've been an entrepreneur, you've turned into a sales trainer. Uh, you've had me on your podcast a couple of times, which is always a blast. Uh, you guys know how to make me blush. So hopefully we'll, we'll avoid that today. Um, but welcome to the show and tell us about you in particular. Just give us a little bit of background and then we're sure. gonna jump in. And for folks who are listening to this, podcast. This is total improvisation. So we're just going to be making it up as we go along. That is perfect. Thanks for having me on the show. I promise not to make you blush this time. I I only do that when you're on our show on Women Your Mother Warned You About. But a little bit about me. I've um, been in business for about 11 years. I started a company called Carolina Improv Company in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in 2008. And that pivoted into our training division, which is Pivot 10 Results. And the journey was crazy because I fell into Carolina Improv because I was really super burnt out in the job that I moved to South Carolina for. And I grew up with improv. I'm from Chicago originally. So when you grow up in, in Chicago, it's in your blood. And I took improv classes all through college, knew the value of how it can rebalance you, kind of like cheap therapy and adult playtime. So when I was burnt out in my corporate job, I thought, oh, just I'll take a refresher improv class. And Nobody in Myrtle Beach knew what it was, which was even more depressing. So I started teaching improv classes. I trained to teach, then I started teaching, then I got fired, which was a blessing because I hated my job. Who doesn't hate their job? And then my, my business just grew from there organically. So I fell into this crazy entrepreneur 
world um, of having a, we have a theater that's number one on TripAdvisor, creating experiences for our guests. So business con to consumer, and then we do the training aspect, taking sale uh, improv into organizations. Very good. What a great run. I, I know this, if you, if you don't want to answer, that's fine, but I'm just curious. You don't tell me the company, but what were you doing before that had you so burnt out and ready to sure. do something else? So I was working in the IMAX industry. Um, I was in my, my, my trajectory in my career path was entertainment marketing. So I kind of grew up in that entertainment world. I was recruited into the IMAX world to take over a, a corporately owned um, IMAX theater in Chicago at, at Navy Pier, a really big theater. And my background was always marketing and sales. And I kept saying no to this job because I didn't, who wants to work in the movie theater business? I kind of like that. Eh. And they kept saying, no, 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 it's, it's, 80% marketing. It's 80% marketing. I'm like, I'm not an operations person. Well, it was 80% operations, right? Really? So yeah, so it was a crazy ride to teach me actually how to run a business. And I started out as an accounting major, right? And then I changed it to journalism because of improv. And then next thing you know, I had to be able to read profit and loss statements. So I turned that theater around in Chicago. And then I was recruited to Myrtle Beach to take over a different IMAX theater is like one of our customer IMAX theaters and, and to get that launched in Myrtle Beach. So I, I kind of, I had a track record in the industry of being able to turn businesses around. So it sounds like when we think about you as an entrepreneur, you had something that you were doing that was in the same genre. You had learned in your job operations and business and you took yeah. that, those, those core skills that, that that business had taught you. And then you found something close to that in the same space, entertainment, yeah. experiences, pleasing people, and then you apply that, that knowledge to open up your, your own gig. Right. Yeah, that's, ex that's exactly what happened. And again, it wasn't the intention. I really wanted a space to play. I wanted just this kind of outlet because improv is so great for getting us out of our headspace and getting us unstuck because we get so stuck in the everyday of what's expected of us. So for me, it's been a tool my entire trajectory of my career, right? So I started taking improv when I was um, in college, my sophomore year of college in Chicago. And I saw the value of what it could do. And I, well, secretly, I'd, I had hoped Lauren Michaels was going to discover me at Second City and that I would end up on Saturday Night Live. And that didn't happen. So, so I just kind of pivoted. I'm like, all right, so I'll be behind the scenes. So it was funny that I kind of fell right back into improv, you know, almost 20 years later and, and turned it into a business. And it really wasn't my intent. Well, I think, this is, I think it's, there's an important lesson here for budding entrepreneurs. And that is that you don't always have to go find something that is new, bright and shiny. I'm an entrepreneur because very similar story. I, I wasn't, I was, I was a little burnt out in the corporate world, but uh, I, I was in a job that I really liked and we had this thing called the Great Recession or the global financial crisis that killed a lot of jobs in my age group and I had to go find Amen. something else and I woke up one day and said, what do I know how to do? I know how to sell stuff and then I built a very successful business around what I knew how to do and what made me happy and passionate and it's been you know, the best thing that ever happened to me but I didn't go look outside and say, let me go find up with some weird idea. I just right. did what I knew and it, and I combined all the business experience. I learned things. Yeah. I was I was a salesperson, not an operator, but I also learned how to read a PL, learned how to build processes <laughs> and systems. And and I think one lesson for anyone who's who's paying attention to this and thinking about one day being an entrepreneur and you have a day job, 
and maybe you don't even like your day job, I would say look inside your day job and find the skills that you need to know and take advantage of that organization teaching you that so that you can go out at some point and build a better business. And then you'll teach someone else to do the same thing. That's kind of how the economy grows is, is we, as we branch out and we build these really cool businesses that are, that are, that have the same DNA or at least have some of the DNA of where we came from in the past. Amen. I, I think that's been, been my biggest um, takeaway and experience from it because when I took the job, in, in South Carolina, I knew that it was a lateral move and I knew I kind of had to have a plan B. And I knew if, if they were smart, they wouldn't keep me very long because I negotiated, you'll love this, I negotiated really well for my salary. So well that I knew they're stupid. They're going to have to fire me at some point because they're not going to be able to carry my salary. So I, I was, I kind of had in the back of my mind, what would I do next? And what did I have a passion for? So it's kind of, I guess it was in the back of my mind. That's good. I love that. We're going to jump into improv, um, Carolina improv in a moment, because I want to learn about how improv helps both entrepreneurs and sales professionals. By the way, you'll hear me say this often. If you're an entrepreneur, you are a sales professional. You are a sales professional. You may think you're not one, but I guarantee you, you're you're a sales professional. And if you're not one, you better get to be one or you're going to go out of business. Uh, So we're going to come back to that. But let's, let's start with starting your business and, and what that was like. I'm, I have an entrepreneurial story. A lot of people do. So the most terrorizing moment for you as an entrepreneur? <laughs> you know, the most, I, I would think the most terrorizing moment was the moment after I decided to do it. Like not, so in the first year I was just teaching. So there was really no overhead, right? I found different places to teach classes in and it, it took, it took off overnight. Um, so within 10 months, I was approached by, get this, a mall you know, those, those things that people used to go to (laughs) shop. So I was approached by the marketing manager of a mall and, and that marketing manager had taken one of my classes and he said, why don't you build a theater here in the mall? And I said, that's insane. No. And, and when we get into improv, the concept of yes, and we're really not allowed to say no to ideas. So I'm like, that would be so hypocritical. Let me think about it. So it it was that moment of, okay, I'm going to build a theater this is insane. I know that the theater business is kind of not a profitable business. It's sort of a break-even business. So I'm going to put all this money into this business that has no guarantee of making money. I knew that the money was going to be in the corporate training, but I needed the brick and mortar to create that credibility and establish myself in the community to do that. So I think my biggest scary moment was the moment that I like emptied my bank account to build out a theater. That was pretty freaky for me. So were those the, the waking up at two o'clock in the morning um, with the night sweats thinking that tomorrow you're going to go broke and you're going to be a greeter at yeah. Walmart? That's, that's your trajectory yes. in life? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly it. And you know, the running joke is, because talking about the recession, I lost my job in 2008. And I lost it because I refused to fire people. So I kind of stood my ground on not letting go of a really good team. And so ultimately, I got fired for being rebellious that way. But I emptied my bank account. This was 2009 and took all that money out to build the space. And, and, and one of my mentors in the industry, in the improv industry said, I hope you know you're never going to make money. And I said, okay, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> What, but, you know, isn't that interesting because I was in the same boat. So um, 2007, 2008, emptied my bank account, built the company, 
really interesting conversations across the kitchen table with my wife as I'm explaining how I'm taking our entire life savings <laughs> and building a sales training company. Uh, I had to build, I, I invested in a job board, sales, a sales job board to create cash flow so I could build out a training organization. Similar to you, I needed a platform or a foundation to build it on. Yeah. And it's always interesting to me with entrepreneurs that there's always someone there to tell you what you can't do. Always someone, always someone there that's going to tell you that you're going to lose. And the same thing happened to me. People said, I said, I'm going to write books. And I remember one of the leaders that I I worked for, this is before I left the company, said, I'm going to to write a book. And he goes, you could never write a book. It'll never be successful. Too hard, too blah, 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 you know, and look at me now, 11 books later. And, you know, people saying, even the outbound conference, you know, our, our outbound conference is, you know, it's just massive. We have people come from all over the world. We had one of the top, top, top dog speakers at NSA um, tell us straight up, you will fail. You will never make money at this conference. And, uh, and, but for me, like it's those type of things that are fuel, like those, those, uh, you know, those haters, you know, you can turn them into motivators if you look at that way. But, and, and then, and then by the way, when, when you were successful, there was nobody like all the haters, they weren't at the finish line clapping for you. They were throwing stuff at you. They were going, ah, you know, just whatever. She, she just did it because she got lucky. You know, somebody actually said to me, this was uh, right after I opened the theater, someone said, I, I did it. And it, excuse me, I, because I'm a performer um, part-time. So I'm going to do a little kind of call, you know, calling out someone. So in her, you know, very Southern genteel way, she said, I didn't think you were going to be very successful at that improv thing, but I see it's still open. <laughs> That is that is a backhanded southern. Bless her heart. Bless your heart, compliment. <laughs> Very good. So so when when did you when did you know like so for me as an entrepreneur on my you know my personal journey there was a place where I quit being scared and I realized that it was sustainable. Like when when did you when did you start to make the switch and and know in your heart that what you were doing was sustainable and you didn't have to wake up every day afraid that something was going to break that would break your business. You know, I I think after I I got the doors open, you know, the scariest part was, is anybody going to come to see a show? Is anybody, are are more people going to sign up for classes? You know, those are my fears. And once the doors were open and people started coming to shows, I think in that moment, that's where I felt like this, this can work. And then the next moment is when I had students, you know, adult students taking these improv classes, six-week classes, just for, you know, to get out of their, their own headspace. People who would come up to me and tell me how much of an impact taking the six-week class did for them. You know, I, I had people say that they were suicidal and that improv changed them. I had um, people say that their marriages were failing and this helped them. Uh, I had this is the Mecca for timeshare sales. I had timeshare salespeople taking classes who said, oh my God, I'm making so much more money because of improv. That's where the other light bulb went off. I said, oh, I I know where this should be going because I never really considered improv for sales training. And so that, then I knew something was happening because the popularity was there. The people really wanted it. People were relying on it. People wanted the community. And it was just really a matter of like, how am I going to scale this? How am I going to take it to the next place? It's, it's a viable product. I just have to keep looking at how to grow it to the next place. I, I knew pretty, pretty quick in. And I want to point out for the people listening exactly what you did. So one of the keys to being a successful entrepreneur and building a business out 
by the way, this is for a sales professional too, if you're trying to expand relationships, is you have to be aware that there are a lot of signals coming at you. And some of the signals are stupid. I'm sure that you got a 25 ideas of, you know, let's throw home improv parties or something like that. And you have to filter those out, but you have to pay attention. So one, one of the, the, the things that happened to me, for example, this is a few years ago, is we started having the military ordering my sales books. And we started seeing more of a pattern of this and then started asking questions. And then we wrote Fanatical Military Recruiting, which is right over here, this book right here, and built a whole division out to train military recruiters because they have wow. this, many of the same sales motions, but they do something completely different. But it opened up an entire division of our company. And we have four people working that division now doing pure training for the military. And it would have been easy to ignore that. And you're exactly right. So you started paying attention to, wow, there's this huge area out there of people who are in roles in business where they're essentially forced to do improv anyway, yeah. because, because what they do is nonlinear. So people are coming to them, talking to them, they get, they get thrown curveballs, and you know, salespeople are always asking me like, what do you do if they do this? You know, so, and improvise. I have, I, <laughs> improvise. I have a technique called the ledge. I'm like, use the ledge technique. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, uh, but you paid attention to that, and then you dived into that particular market. So now you've got your pure B2C play, people coming into your theater. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. So they're watching improv to, for entertainment. You right. have your, your consumer-led uh, improv courses that are, that are helping the community. People want to come in, all stripes, and I'm sure, there's, I'm sure they're a blast. Add some wine to it, probably awesome. Um, <laughs> I need to come down for an improv class. You, you do, you do. <laughs> some improv therapy. And, and, then, <laughs> and, then you had, and, and then you built out your pure corporate play, which is going out into organizations and saying, we can make your people better yeah. by teaching them how to communicate in a way that allows them to have influence in the moment and be flexible to whatever's coming at them and the confidence to deliver a message no matter what the situation is. Yeah. Did, I yeah. did I capture that right? You, that was amazing because I'm going to use that soundbite somewhere because that was awesome. You're welcome to it. They, I'm, I'm for hire too. Like, I'm seriously, <laughs> I'll come do commercials for you. <laughs> well, you, you know that you're, you know, I have a business crush on you and you're one of my uh, favorite sales gurus. Well, I know. And that maybe that's how you sweet talk my, my assistant <laughs> into getting me on the show. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm good at selling, Jeb. I'm good. <laughs> so, so let's talk about improv specifically. Uh, and 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 what improv can do for sales professionals and entrepreneurs who are in these nonlinear situations. And what I'm going to do is get you to begin by teaching us specifically what is improv. So what, what, we, we throw that around a lot, but what yeah. does it mean? And then, and then and basically in your lane, what does it mean in your lane for, for people? And why do we need to know what improv sure. is? Does that make sense? Sure, sure, sure. So let's, let's start with what improv is, right? So you hear the word Im improv, it's short for improvisation, right? That's a pretty common sense, you're improvising, right? That's pretty simple. When we hear the word improv, a lot of times people think stand comedy, um, which is a constant confusion because there were a string of comedy clubs called the improv, but they weren't improv, they were stand-up. So improv comedy is basically improvising a show, right? And so musicians do this, right? in jazz, in, in dance, people can improvise and the outcome is something. So in this case, improv comedy, we're improvising for the outcome of entertaining and comedy. And we're, we're off of the script. So we don't have a script to work with. 
So we are forced to really pay attention to the audience and to study audience behavior in order to create something that's going to engage them and entertain them. So that kind of gives you a, a feel for what improv is. Um, those who don't know, a lot of times we say, think of whose line is it anyway, the TV show mm -hmm. where they're, they're, they're making it up. So from an entertainment standpoint, that's where it's at. The, the real rub is taking that and putting it into a business environment. And how do you get off of the script and how do you adapt to things that are thrown your way and adjust to it using those same techniques and skills that we use on stage and transferring them? So the, the, my first experience with improv was whose line is it anyway? Mm -hmm. That was the first time I ever saw improv. Yeah. Because I'm from a little Georgia town and not Chicago and we didn't have improv. And, and I, you know, watched that show. And, and if you watched it, you thought these people are just incredible. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so many of those guys are still on TV now, still you know, still doing, you know, all kinds of stuff. They're on seeing on Netflix all the time. It was a, it was a brilliant show. I never connected in my head that I could ever do anything like that. To me, it just seemed impossible. But one of the things that, for example, I teach salespeople to do um, is to, is to leverage something called dual process. Dual process is probably the hardest thing for people to do. The great salespeople do this naturally. And dual process is simply in the same, at the same time, being focused on empathy and outcome. So in other words, I can be completely in the moment, standing in the shoes of the person that I'm working with while not losing sight of where I need to go. And the problem for salespeople is that typically they're on one side or the other of that scale. They're either completely outcome driven, so it's all about me and what I want yeah. and getting to an end and asking for something, or they're completely empathy driven. They're listening, they're paying attention, they're engaged, but they never actually accomplish anything. They never get anywhere. And yeah. dual process says you can do both at the same time. Oh, mm -hmm. And it sounds to me like what you just described is a little bit of dual process. You have to be yeah. in tune and aware of the audience, how they're responding, the person that you're improving with, how they're responding and, and be there, but understand that there's a story here that you have to get to. And, and this is, I think, if I get this right, and you have to be unattached to the end. The story can change. So you know yeah. there's an outcome, but you have to detach yourself emotionally from what that might be. Yes. Or, or you quit improvising and you start trying to lead. We call dual process, we call it yes and. Okay. So it's, it's the yes and philosophy that is the foundation of improv and everything that we teach, uh, whether it's our six-week class or going into organizations. So the concept of yes and is a concept of acceptance. It's a philosophy and mindset of acceptance versus agreement. So we don't have to agree on something. We just need to accept each other's thoughts, points of view, objections, right? We just have to accept that. And when we're in that mi mindset of acceptance, you are detached. You completely let go of like, I'm going to accept what Jeb thinks, even though I don't agree with it. So it starts with that, right? That's the first foundation. And we do a literal yes and exercise, which really forces in this literal yes and exercise that's also the philosophy it forces listening so you know go back to the active listening piece of it and i know that you're big in, into this and you've you've got a lot of philosophies behind that so the the active listening piece in order for us to be able to hear what someone said and then validate so we have to be able to say yes jeb you thought that i was going to be in the studio today and I look better on, on Zoom conference calls. So, right. So I'm going to validate what you wanted, what you said, and then I'm going to take it and I'm going to take it somewhere else. 
And we're going to continue to heighten that process until we come to a place that we've created something together and we've collaborated together. So one of the number one rules in improv, and which is one of the core values of our company, is making other people look good. So in that yes and process, my job is to make you look good. And so when I make you look good, I automatically look good. And then we win together, which I know is a big tenet of yours, right? It's, it's you know, win to win. You want to be in it to win it. Well, the most, most insatiable human need, the thing that we can not, never get enough of is to feel important, to feel significant, yeah. and to feel like we matter. So that goes back to uh, unattaching from the outcome. If your, your, your focus is to make the other person look good, what yeah. you've decided basically is what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this person feel significant. Now, this is super important for sales professionals because when you make someone feel important, you give them the greatest gift that you can give another human being. It's mm -hmm. more important than money or anything else. Yeah. And when you give people gifts, they feel an obligation. That's just natural. It's called a law of reciprocity. Yeah. So if I make you feel good, then you feel an obligation to do something nice to me. Right. And when I throw it back to you, hey, sounds like we have some agreement here. Why don't we move to the next step? The probability yep. that you say yes goes up exponentially because you feel good. Right. Why do sales professionals need to understand the concepts of improv and how will it change their performance if they learn these things? Well, I think number one, you know, the biggest thing for me with improv is that we are taught to fail. So when we get comfortable with failure, then we take risks and we have confidence and nothing scares us. So going into any kind of negotiation situation, going into any sales process where I know there's going to be pushback and objection, I sort of look forward to it, right? I go into it going, can't wait to hear what the objections are. So it takes the fear away when we practice that. So that, that's a, another really important piece of it. And just being able to get off of the script and not worry so much about the process, right? We, so you have your playbook and you have your process. I like to say, have a book of play along with your playbook so that you're, you're a little more playful in the process. And most importantly, building the relationship. So using, using the improv skills to really tune in, really listen to your point, people want to feel significant when you shut up and listen, you're going to make more money because people think you're amazing when you're not talking. It's incredible, isn't it? It's, it's incredible. So, and, and you, you just described something for me that I, I, I don't talk a lot about, but I, in when people ask me, I'll, I'll go through my, get on my soapbox. And it's, it's methodologies like, for example, discovery methodologies like SPIN. So yeah. SPIN, which is you know, one of the most famous books ever written, mm -hmm. um, training programs, Neil Rackham. Uh, if, you're, if you're breathing and you're a salesperson, you've probably read the book. Mm -hmm. the, the SPIN questions, like the, the category questions, awesome. And you can learn a lot from, from categorizing those questions and asking them at the right times. The problem with methodologies like SPIN is that they tend to be linear. So people go into the conversation and they go, I'm going to ask all these questions. Right. And the hardest thing to teach salespeople to do is exactly what you said. And let's just stop for a second and, and make one statement. 80% of sales is discovery. Say it one more time. 80% of sales is discovery. So if 80% of sales is discovery, that means that 80% of the time you're usually listening and you're asking questions. And the only way to really get people to move and give you the information that you need 
is if it's organic. You're building on the conversation yeah. versus going from one question to the next, to the next, to the next. And so many salespeople are sitting there and they have a list of questions. They know they need to do discovery. They went to sales training, but they have no idea how to improv in the moment. Right. And they're, and they're so uncomfortable with it. And when I talked about that literal yes and exercise, that literal yes and exercise forces this really weird conversation where you have to listen and you cannot formulate a thought in your head of how you're going to respond, right? Because we're, we're always in our head like, can't, okay, I, got, I know exactly what I'm going to say as soon as he's done talking. Well, in that exercise, you can't do that because you have to be able to repeat verbatim what that person said in the exercise. And the only way you can do that is to, to not be up in your head. So basically you're running an exercise where you say something and then I have to repeat exactly what you said back yeah. to you. So yeah. you're forcing the person to train their brain to listen all the way. All the way. You want to try it? Yeah, let's try it. Okay. I, I, you're going to embarrass me on camera <laughs> and uh, on audio because I might not be good at this. You know what? Um, everybody struggles with it. I've been doing it for 20 plus years and I struggle with it. And that's the point is that if we don't exercise our brain to do this, we're, we're not going to be good at it. So you have to be constantly exercising this. So, so it's pretty simple. So you're okay, going no to- No judgment now, okay? No judgment. Nope. That's okay. another thing in improv, no judgment. We don't right. judge anything, right? It's acceptance. So, okay. so um, you're going to just say a really short phrase, and this is important because there's no questions. And I'd like to kind of talk about questions in, in the sales process. You're going to create, you just say a small phrase, and that could be anything like Gina's amazing, right? And I have to then say, literally say yes, repeat what I heard you say verbatim, change the pronouns to make it about you and me. And then I'll say, and, and then I will add something to it. And then you're going to follow that up by saying yes. Okay. So you're literally going to have to say yes to me. Yes will then be the very beginning of everything. And I'll side coach you through it. So don't worry about it. Ready? Okay, right. go. Gina is in love with my brand new book, Inked. Yes, I am in love with your brand new book, Inked. And I love all your books. Yes. Did I get that right? Yeah, you say yes. Now you're going to say you love all my books. Yes, you love all my books. And, and? you're not going to believe that I have a brand new book coming out after this one called Business Outcome Selling Strategies. So I keep on giving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I cannot believe that you have another book coming out that I forgot the title of that's coming out later this fall because we have talked about this. And because your comeback was so long, I can't remember it well enough to repeat it verbatim, which is a really good learning lesson of how you can confuse the buyer's mind when you talk too much. And it's your turn. It's my turn to... And <laughs> it's my turn. And it's it's my turn to do another gratuitous book plug. So, <laughs> so, so, so you kind of. It's really that's good. No, I I like that. You know, it hurts your brain to think like I because I'm like I'm sitting here and I'm almost tense because I'm I'm like I gotta pay attention to this so I don't get it wrong. But I can see ah, how that. But 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 did you hear that? You had to pay attention to it so you didn't get it wrong. What if? in the sales process, you were in that mindset the entire time. Well, it would be awesome because it, it would be, well, after a while, you, would, you wouldn't be tense anymore because if you just right. practice and practice and practice that. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good, like if I'm a sales manager and I'm listening to this right now, that's a really good thing just to take your salespeople through yeah. mm -hmm. and just throw, you, you throw a sentence out and you have to repeat the exact sentence back. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, because I really liked that. I like what it did to my brain. It made me, um, it, like it hurt just a little bit. <laughs> you know, and, and the first time anyone does it, they, they go through that and they really struggle with it. And I see it when we're, we're out in organizations doing the training because they really, a lot of people resist. And of course, different personalities have different reactions to it, you know, so you know, on the disc, your C personality is really like hating it because they want to know the exact instruction on how to do it. And, and then they ask a million questions on how to do it. And so it's a struggle for them. So getting people out of that box is really hard for them because they, they learn that they're actually not paying attention and they're not listening. People are paying attention and they aren't listening. No. And I see that every day. I, we were with a group this past week and we were giving them objection turnarounds. We had them on stage, two microphones. They're doing a ring ring. They're calling someone up. They're getting an objection. And there's 200 people in the room watching them. So we're, you know, we're, we've activated every fear point in their brain. And I'm teaching them what their brain does. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm basically running a science experiment to show them that when they're in a situation where they're scared and fight or flight kicks on, the blood is basically rushed out of their neocortex, leaving them un- incapable of rational thought in the moment. And they have to deploy some mechanisms, we call it a ledge, to get control over that. Neuroscience is called the magic quarter of a second to get control of that so that they can rise above the emotion and choose their response. We're going through the process and you know this kid just butchers it. And so I'd give him the words and say, say these exact words. And then he butchers it again. I say, see these exact words. And he butchers again. And people are just amazed like because everybody in the audience is like, come on. I mean, it's just one sentence. But he cannot and will not pay attention. Like he's only thinking about what's happening inside of him and not just saying, okay, there's five words that you've given me to say, say these words. But at the end, he gets it and everybody sees it. As soon as he gets his confidence goes up, like you, you can, you can like watch the entire audience, their entire emotional, uh, you know, profile changes. They all lean forward. And the very moment that he finally turns on his ears and his brain and he listens, internalizes it and repeat it, repeats it back. It's just beautiful. So tremendous exercise for people. I think one of the problems, like you said, is that when you're trying to learn techniques like this, is that we're afraid of failing. And it, even in that moment, I was a little nervous of doing this in front of you. You're an expert. I'm not. And I don't want to look bad. So we don't just allow ourselves to practice in the moment where it's safe. You're, nothing, you're not going to fail. There's no, nothing's going to get broken. And then do it over and over and over and over again until it just feels natural to you. Right. And you, you hit on a key word is safe. Now, you're not always going to feel like you're in a safe environment. When it comes to our classes and our training, we really strive to create a safe environment where you feel safe to fail so that when you do let loose and we're done with you, it's not going to affect you to, you're not going to be afraid of anything. You're just going to like let it happen. And if something doesn't work, you're going to learn from it, right? And so then how do you pivot from something that didn't work? So that failure piece is so is so important. It is. Well, adversity and failure, they're our greatest teachers. But I'm curious about something. So you have a safe space in your theater and your classes, but then you put me on your podcast, and your podcast is not a safe space. <laughs> I don't understand. I, do you just reserve that for me? Oh, wait, on Women Your Mother Warned You About? Yeah. You yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> I'm like, you're sitting there talking about safe space. Like, I, as soon as I get on your podcast, like, my face is beet red. You know, I, I walk away, I have to go, like, I got to get therapy after I get done. <laughs> well, well, the you know, the best part is that you said to, to please keep inviting you back, so you must like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a little sick that way, you know, so... <laughs> 
But you know, like in, on that podcast, Rachel and I really do try to create an environment that's fun and put you a little bit on the spot, especially for the men that come onto our show. Like we want to push you a little bit because it's fun for us. But really, again, it's it's you you want to create a safe space. You want to create a safe space for your buyer, right? So the buyer needs to feel like they can say anything and and not be you know tensed up about how you're going to react to it. And and so many people in sales they go into that mindset of, like you said, of like, you know, they're going in that mindset of outcome and they're really not paying attention. And, you know, one of my favorite books is, is sales EQ, right? That was probably one of the most impactful books for me because I'm so much about the emotional intelligence of it. And are you really paying attention to the cues and are you really paying attention to your own baggage and have self-empathy so that you can then be able to relate to other people. And, you know, in comedy, the reason why we can be funny, where the funny happens, because we don't teach funny at all. We teach people how to organically be in the moment is what we're doing. <laughs> the funny comes from the relatability. So there are two things in comedy. You either laugh at repetition or you laugh at contrast. So repetition is the relatability. We're going to laugh at something that they did something on stage that we totally relate to. And they can relate to it because we listened to them, took their idea, made the show about them, and now they're laughing at themselves. Now you take contrast and it's the unexpected. They're laughing at, they didn't see it coming. And so either way, especially in comedy, if we fail, we're still laughed at. And so we win. I like it. I like it. That's, good. that's a good way of looking at it. That's a, that's a game you can play to just detach from the outcome. If I fail, I win. If I win, I win. Exactly, because you're gonna you're gonna win something, even if you don't close the deal, even if it's not the ideal um, buyer for you. You're gonna learn something from it. And there's a beautiful lesson in that. The lesson is detaching from the outcome, being empathetic. You have to get to an outcome. Don't that in sales? Yeah. We're an it's an outcome driven profession. Right. If you're if you're not getting to the next step, you're not gonna sell anything. But we're letting that go and, and, and organically in the moment, we're, we're there with our buyer. And I'm going to paraphrase Seth Godin talking about making it safe for your buyer. But one of the things that Seth said is the reason that buyers lie to us is because we teach them to lie to us. Because if they tell us yeah. something that we don't want to hear because it's not in the narrative that we're trying to get to, the outcome we're trying to get to, we make them we belittle them, make them feel bad going back to what you said. We're making the other person feel good about what they said. Yeah. That, that then they begin to put their walls up, which is why in most cases, salespeople are at the tip of the iceberg and there's all this information below. And what, where I'm trying to go in a discovery conversation is to activate the self-disclosure loop. You read about that in Sales EQ. Mm -hmm. And that's when people begin to just emote. They begin to talk and they, they begin to talk unassisted. I don't have to ask them any questions. And there's a neurophysical loop that happens inside the brain when I begin to self-reveal. As I self-reveal, I, I get a dopamine hit to the pleasure center yeah. of the brain, which causes me to want to self-reveal more. And the more I self-reveal, the more I'll give you. And if you watch master sales professionals, what they do is they ask a handful of questions and get a massive amount of information. And in that information is everything that you need to close the deal. But, it, but a lot of that is just the, the organic, they're 
we we call it, and I think the, uh, the probably the best name for it is deep listening. But they're listening mm-hmm. to the emotional cues. Yes. Just like you said, we're paying attention to the audience. We're paying attention yeah. to the person. And when we do and then or then and or or and yes and. Yes, and we're doing yes, and we're doing those things, right? As we're as we're doing that, we're creating this this moment where we're we're asking a question about something that's important to them, that's emotional to them, and that gets them talking. And then and then the biggest thing is just getting out of the way and letting it go. And it, this it sounds like the, the improv piece is all of that together. That yeah. and I and that and if I can add one more thing and giving you just the confidence that you can stand there and you can take any situation that comes at you yeah. and you don't have to be afraid. Exactly, because as long as you're making it about the other person, going back to that, make other people look good. If you if you keep in that mindset of making it about them and taking it off of you, there's going to be no failure because you're going to be making it about them. And if and if I want to throw in a couple things because you've hit on this on the questions piece. And I wanted to talk about this in the yes and in that exercise, you're not allowed to ask questions. And that comes up a lot in the exercise, right? It'll be like, yes, um, Jeb's got a new book coming out. And when is it? And it, it throws off the cadence of the exercise because too many questions puts that person on the defensive to have to answer them or to come up with an answer that makes them sound smart instead of just like being off the top of their head in a statement. So you know, while questions are important, I'm always teaching people stop asking so many questions because you can ask one question, like you said, and you can get, get so much information. People will just keep going on and telling you everything. And we, we, have, a, we have another exercise that we do with that where um, they have to, in pairs, they're, they're sharing something and, and one person's a listener and one person is a talker and the listener cannot say anything. And they have to listen with such intent that they're able to repeat it back. And that's what, that's what we tell them. So they, they get like really freaked out that they have to listen with intent. And then we, you know, no, you didn't have to. Um, so they have to listen with intent. But what happens is the talker gets really uncomfortable doing all the talking. And so we tell the listener, the second that you see them starting to waver and they don't know what to say, or they say, I don't know what else to say because we haven't told them to switch. That's when you can say to the talker, tell me more. Mm-hmm. about pick something that you heard and 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 just prompt them tell me more with but don't ask them a question tell me more still a question disguised tell me tell me more that seems like it's really important to you that 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 sounds like it might have hurt like it, it, it's yeah. it's just a statement and it's deep listening ask the next question or make it's to me it's a statement and a pause but yeah. do a statement and a pause on something that you saw them, they were emotional. I don't need to teach you, like you don't need to go to a body language course in order to see emotion in other people. Right. It's hardwired in our DNA. We, 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 emotions right. are contagious, we know how to see it. So when you see emotion, test it. So salespeople say, well, what, what, if, what if there wasn't anything there? And, I, and I'll take salespeople with me on a call and say, listen, watch what I'll do. I'll go down 10 dead ends. I'll just, I'll go, that, that sounds like it was really important to you. That, uh, it sounds like you've had some problems with that before. And they'll go, no, no, no. And you just pop onto the next one. Like you said, failing is yeah. winning. If, if they go, no, then I just move to the next thing yeah. because I didn't lose. I, I just know that that's not a place that's important to them. But, right. most, but most of the time, if I go, that sounds like it was really important to you, or it sounds like you've had some problems with that in the past. Tell me more. It's like, Poof. tell me more is, is such a powerful statement because 
people love to talk about themselves, right? It mm -hmm. goes back to that significance piece. And when you let them talk about themselves and you're like, no, tell me more, I want to know more about you. Yes. Right? I want to know more about this. Tell me more, give me more information. Uh, and especially if it's around, you know, when you see their emotions, because that's what people want to talk about. One, one last thing that I found in listening, and I don't know how this works in your world, or if you have exercises around this, is that is learning how to pause. So, so you're in a conversation, oh, yeah. and although we're probably not doing a lot of pausing right now, but the two of us together, it could be an explosion <laughs> or something. So, um, so, but there's, after someone stops talking, we have a tendency to want to jump in and tell our story. And the reason, by the way, we want to do that is because we have an insatiable need to feel important. We feel most important when our mouths are moving. One of the, the things that I teach people is pause. Count to three, count to five, and let the, let the, let the person like, know they finished talking before you jump in. Because in most cases, when you leave silence, the other person will fill it in. And what comes out of their mouth next will be the most significant thing of the entire conversation. Yeah. Well, the yes and exercise really um, works on that because you have to be listening and you can't just jump in right away. You, you have to listen and then you have an opportunity to jump in. And because you didn't have time to formulate in your head, you're just naturally going to take a pause because you're like, oh, now it's my time to talk. What am I going to say? So the, the pause comes in at that point. Uh, the other thing that we teach in our classes for like for performance purposes when you're on stage and you have we call it i've got nothing meaning i have no idea what i'm going to do and so when we have nothing and two of us are on stage together and we both have nothing we just look at each other like okay and we're not saying anything what's interesting and then we again we teach how to study audience behavior the audience will inevitably physically move in they will lean in because they feel like, what's going on? There's no talking happening. Did I miss something? So that pause, that silence really leads to create more engagement. Before we go, could you give us two techniques that the people that are listening or watching right now could deploy immediately that would make them better at improvising during sales calls? Sure. Well, I'm going to start with, I'm going to go back to yes and. That is okay. probably the best thing that you can do is that yes and concept. That to me is going to be the biggest takeaway is to practice the listening. So in that yes and, you're practicing listening and you're practicing validating and you're practicing collaborating to heighten the idea to take it to the next place. So that would be the number one thing to do. Uh, there are a variety of other exercises, but I think that's probably the biggest thing that they can do to just get comfortable with it. And hey, if, if there's an improv class in your area, I highly suggest you go take it. Thank you so much for spending time with me. And for all the people that were listening and watching, this interview was 100% improvised. That was such a fun interview. And I hope this inspires you to go learn a little bit more about improv, the yes and process, listen more, be in the moment, and go check out Gina. You can find her at ginatramarco.com. That's ginatramarco.com. She's got a great blog, great podcast, and fantastic information on how you can use improv to improve your sales and communication skills. And make sure that you go right now to Amazon, Barnes Noble, wherever books are sold, and pick up a copy of my brand new international bestseller, Virtual Selling.